Hi there, it's Daniel again. I hope that you caught the previous episode to this one as it is a precursor or a preview to this interview that we have for you today with Samantha Jolka of Doris Research here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Sam works at Doris, which is a design thinking research firm that works to improve and build the workplace of the future. And so they're listening to the research to see how you can improve your space and unleash your potential. It's really interesting. If you haven't heard anything about design thinking, it's becoming a little bit more popular. And Samantha will go over a bit about what design thinking is. And then how do we apply design thinking principles to opportunity? How do you find and create opportunity by designing it? This was a fascinating interview. So if you haven't, please catch the previous episode where we talk about hybrid workspace and what might be the long-term effects of that. And then take a listen here to our interview with Sam. Afterwards, reach out to us and let us know how you're enjoying this season one. If there's anything that uh, you have for us, any ideas of people that you would love for us to interview, uh, we'd love to hear that. So reach out to us online at Instagram at Learned Opportunity, or you can check us out at learnedopportunity.com for more information. So let's go on over to our interview with Sam Jolka of Doris Research. We're really excited for you to listen. Welcome to the Learn Opportunity Podcast. My name is Daniel. And my name is Gwendolyn. And we're here to provide casual, professional, and lifestyle development. And today, we have Samantha Jolka, and she's the president and founder of Doris Research, a design thinking research firm for workplace challenges in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hi, Sam. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're just really happy to have you. So a design thinking research firm. What is design thinking? <laughs> what in the world is that? Right. Really good question. I have a two-year graduate degree, and I still am probably learning what it is. If I had to answer what design thinking is in the shortest possible way, I would just say that it's a problem-solving method. Hmm. So it's a way to sort out complex, wicked problems. And when I say wicked, I'm not talking about, I'm not a person from Boston. With <laughs> that, that, if that's actually a wicked, yeah, that's actually a way that you can describe really complicated problems. And so design thinking is it's been around for a long time. It's not new. It's the concept really is taking the principles that designers might apply to, let's say, a very traditional design problem, maybe designing a logo or designing a website or designing a house or whatever it might be that you would, that folks would most traditionally think of as something a designer might work on. It's taking the way that they would solve that problem and maybe applying it one level up, one mm -hmm. maybe meta level higher. And using those skills that are very valuable in solving just maybe something that's slightly more complex, a systems level problem. Mm -hmm. And so that's what design thinking is. As you were talking, it made me think, is there ever a problem where you're like, oh, maybe it's not big enough. This isn't a fit for design thinking. I don't think so. Because we'll use it. All, we'll use it. Uh, we'll test it on small problems. Yeah. Um, 
So we'll, we could run a design thinking process in an hour if we had to, oh, you know, wow. run through it very quickly. You'd have a very small amount of stakeholders. Might just be yourself. Traditionally with design thinking, you'd have many stakeholders. That's one of the major tenants is you're involving a lot of people. But you could. I, We've solved little problems at home using design thinking. Like, you know, how does the dog keep getting out of the kennel or something like that? Uh-huh. You, could, you, know, you could use all of the principles to do that, but you could also be solving very large scale social problems. Cool. With the process. So at work, we'll use it and we'll scale up or down based on the size of project that we're doing, but we'll always apply the same process. You're not just a design thinker. You have a whole bunch of other things that you're interested in or passions or hobbies. Who, who else is, is Sam? Oh, gosh. Good question. How do I answer that? So I have three boys, tw- uh, twins that are about seven now and then a four-year-old. So they consume a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. I enjoy them, but they don't necessarily define my whole life. I'm obviously super into work. I talk about work more. I'm going somewhere to play every day. It feels mm-hmm. like I play. I don't work. My kids will ask me, oh, don't you wish you didn't have to go to work? And I always say, no, I love going to work. Mm-hmm. Work is what makes my life fulfilling. But I like to do. I, I like to cook. That's more of a COVID hobby that I picked up. I like to golf. I like to run. I like to do a lot of active stuff. I used to like to travel. It's coming back. But yeah, I'm pretty consumed with my kids and my job right now. But as seasons of life continue to evolve and change, I like to learn new things. So I always say, if I hit the lottery, if that was something that happened in my life, I would become a full-time student. I would just never stop school. Really? Ever. I would audit every class. I don't want to take the tests. But I just want to sit in the classes and listen to all of the different, mm. you name it, I'd sit in the class. What's there a certain school you'd want to go to? No, that's a good question. I don't know that it's the institution itself. I think actually there's tons of flaws I'm learning now with higher education. It's more so maybe even the, maybe the topic. I don't care if it's a community college. I want to learn about maybe the art history that I, I learned about Western art history. Everyone else did in college. There's tons of gaps in my knowledge and understanding on diverse populations and art history that I have no idea about. I would love to spend time learning about that. I want to learn about geology. I want to learn. I'd love to take more math classes, as silly as that sounds. Like, I would sit in on just about anything Hmm. and do that all the time. That's really cool. I wonder, is there a connection? Because you probably sit in with other people, like, on their problems they're trying to solve that you're helping with. I feel like that kind of goes in line with... Like just jumping into anybody's world almost. It it probably does. So that's the most interesting part about my job, I think, is the fact that I'm giving carte blanche open opportunity to ask the people that I'm that I'm working with or our clients any question I want about their business. So I, I will, you know, be very curious and ask as many obscure questions as possible. Sometimes they have something to do with our project and other times I'm just curious about them. Hmm. To me, that's fun. I want to walk through a manufacturing site and learn why are they doing all these things. I don't know anything about yeah. baking at a large scale or I don't understand how aerospace engineering works. But I get to like walk in here and ask you all a bunch of questions about that. And I think that probably just feeds my curiosity and is a large part about why work is so fun. Mm. Have you seen that passed down into any of your kids? Because you mentioned your three kids. They're so young still that they're very much at the stage where they will ask you questions constantly. Mm-hmm. Why questions? And 
And our, the back of my business card says why. And I don't, I, as if folks that are parents that are potentially listening here, you sometimes get to a breaking point where you're like, I cannot answer one more question why. But I try to answer all their questions because I know where that feeling is coming from. But they're all three very curious about everything. It's fun to watch that and and wonder like, well, when did that stop for certain people? Were they not answered or why did that? I don't know. They're curious. Was there ever a stage where you felt like your curiosity did stop for a bit? Or do you feel like you've always naturally been curious? I've probably always been curious. So from your theme, Opportunity, yeah, I've probably always been around people who are willing to answer my questions. I'm sure I was annoying at times. And my parents are lovely. And they answered probably as many questions as possible. I'm sure at some point I got told that that's enough or trying to listen to the news or whatever. But now I've always, and maybe it's the way in which I've found or figured out how to ask the questions as I got older. Okay. Maybe understanding when's the appropriate time to ask or stop asking. I, I don't know. But I've always just been able to ask whatever question is top of mind and figure out a way to work it in and get an answer. And that's, I think that's helpful. I think more people should ask more questions. You're obviously very passionate about the work that you do, but how in the world do you get into the work that you are doing in design thinking? You start a business on your own. Now, I don't, I didn't know what design thinking was. So I have an undergrad in interior design and I went to a talk when I was working as a professional interior designer. I went to a talk at the Heron School of Art and Design, which is where I ended up getting my graduate degree from. And when I was in the building, I just enjoyed the building. That's a weird comment to say, but I just appreciated the feeling I had when I was in the building. For some reason, I had never been in there. I was listening to a speaker. And so I left that night and I just looked up, well, what do they teach in here? What are the programs that exist in this building? Hmm. And so they had a graduate degree in design research and design thinking. I'd never heard of those terms before. I Googled what they meant. They really spoke to me and I applied to go to grad school there because I was so enthralled in what that was. Mm. That's how it was introduced. And as ridiculous as that is, I enjoyed being in a building, looked up what degree programs they had there, applied and was accepted. I wish there was like a more magical story to tell you how it came into my life. And it was, it, something happened, but... You were just naturally it. curious, it sounds, and looking at a whole list of programs that yeah. were in that building. Yep. I want to go to school here. What can they teach me? Huh. I chose a school based off of landscaping, so this does not. We are <laughs> good. I'm not the only. No, we're not at all. It's true. Perfect. You did. Yeah, you did. really liked how nice and clean it it all was. So, so yeah, you can choose a school for just about anything, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what we're getting to here, but that answers a little bit of how you got into design thinking right now. But what did you want to do when you grew up as a kid? When I was a kid. What did I want to do? I knew I wanted to work. I wanted to be a professional doing something. I think my yearbook in high school, they'll ask you, what are you going to be in 10 years? And I said, I was going to be occupying the corner office, whatever that meant. That, I mean, I didn't know what the job was. I just knew I was going to work and be a professional. That was what I wanted to do. But I didn't want to be a fireman or a police officer, like those kinds of job, ballerina. I don't think I knew. I knew I liked, I was creative. I knew I liked thinking up new things, new ideas. I don't know that I knew exactly how I would apply that. 
I liked the order of things and figuring mm. out little problems, but I, I didn't probably understand for a long time where that fit. I started out in undergrad as an engineering major and then moved into interior design. I just needed maybe a little bit more creativity, which I, in hindsight, I wish I had stuck with engineering because I think that would have been equally as interesting. I don't know. Go where the wind blows. And it took me there. And that was a nice start to a career. I probably wasn't meant to be an interior designer full-time or do, doing that work. But yeah, it always seems like the next opportunity presents itself when it's ready. And if I've mm -hmm. worked hard enough. Were your parents professionals? So I'm going back to your yearbook when you were writing. Was that something you saw modeled for you? Or? Yeah, my dad was. But very typical kind of go to work every day. He was a leader at work okay. and did would run certain parts of a business or would open a new office or something like that. They weren't entrepreneurial, but my mother also worked. She had various jobs. She had to sacrifice and moved around a lot for my dad's work. Oh. So she didn't maybe have the opportunity to get as ingrained in whatever her career path might have been because she was busy making sure that we were all set up wherever we were moving to. I definitely had parents that I saw do something at a very regular cadence and had good routines and, and watch them work hard. So I guess I probably knew I would do something like that. Yeah. So how would you say you have found opportunities in your professional life? Um, they are not just laid at my feet generally right there. You're, you're working really hard and I was keeping my head up enough to see them when they presented themselves, but they didn't just arrive. I had to have really dug in on something, took a risk, quit my job, went to grad school full-time, really dove into some project I was working on. And probably those things led to opportunity. I think opportunity comes from probably a lot of really hard work and being willing to take what's coming at you and not looking at that somebody that you think you want to be, but maybe finding the opportunity to create the person that you actually are. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't looking to become the owner or the CEO of the company that I worked at. That wasn't the opportunity that I should or could or wanted. But I somehow luckily figured out how to carve out the opportunity that made sense for me. Hey. I think uh, a real turning point for me was when I figured out networking. Stop throwing away business cards when people hand them to you. They're actually valuable. At first, I would just throw them in the trash bin because I didn't understand why I didn't like networking. I didn't like going to an event yeah. that was after work or whatever. I was tired. But once I figured out that there were people in my life that I maybe didn't know very well, but that were probably willing to take a meeting with me if I would just reach out to them, that's when opportunities started to occur more and more. Hmm. So figuring that out. And that's... I know and can appreciate, I'm an introvert. I can appreciate that's really scary to reach out to somebody and ask them to go to coffee with you because what are you going to talk about? And yeah. if you're curious, you've got enough questions, that'll be fine. If I could give anyone the keys to the kingdom, that would be it. Just start having coffee with people. And eventually something will start to fall in line. That's where people will start to remember you and, and you'll find interesting things that interesting people are doing. I would say that was the turning point for me. When I stop throwing business cards away and start actually reaching out to people. Mm. That's really good advice. Especially what I like about that is you were saying 
you weren't looking to become a, the owner of a design thinking firm or no. looking to be this certain person, but it, really the opportunity presented itself where you were right then and who you actually are and who you are just happened to lead to where you are at right now. And, and networking, they can't see who you're going to be either. They're just able to see where you're at right now and how you can uh, apply your skills, apply the the gifts that you have in the present and be helpful to whatever they may need. And they may be able to also help you with the that's present right. skills that yeah, they have. That's so right. It, so something that's weird about this for me is you are all asking me questions and asking you questions, right? So I'd prefer to ask you questions. <laughs> but that's super important to remember in, when you're networking with somebody and you're in a I have coffee meetings like multiple times a day just because that's how I stay sharp and that's how we sell our work as well. But you cannot, it, you need to ask about them, the person that you're with, do a really good job of asking a million questions about them and just wait for them to ask questions about you. I had to learn that. You don't go in telling them about yourself. You've got to ask and be curious and learn a lot about them. And the more you can do that, the better you can probably respond to their questions and tailor them to make sense to whatever is going on in there. But that's something that takes time to learn. We're trying to teach our kids that. When I ask you, how was your day? You need to then ask me, how was my day? And sometimes that's a hard thing to remember to do. It's not necessarily natural <laughs> for us as human beings, that's for sure. What about in your personal life? Opportunity isn't necessarily always economical or vocational. What opportunities have you seen just from life, creative or mental health or other things? And, and how did you find those opportunities? I know, that's a good question. I, it all goes back to just asking people questions. What are you doing to stay fit? What's your fitness plan or whatever? Oh, you're using this app to work out. I'm going to try that. And so I think it's just constantly thinking about and watching what are other people doing? How do they do it? How do I assimilate with this group? I want to learn to do that. I like to golf. I don't probably look like a very, the most typical person on a golf course if you were to go to a golf course, but I figure out how to assimilate fit in, play how I want to play, do what I want to do when I'm there, feel really comfortable. It took me a long time to figure out. I knew I liked it. Like, I love what I like about golf is you're competing with yourself. I'm very competitive, but I'm not, I don't have the athletic prowess to go out and compete in anything really athletic. But with golf, you're competing on your own. And I love to just step up to the tee box and just hit the ball as hard as possible and take out you know, any aggression that I might have. But there's tons of rules involved and there's tons of etiquette and protocol and it's really uncomfortable. And if you're a young woman and you're in this kind of world that's really not ever really been built for you to be there, trying to figure out how to do that. And I would be really uncomfortable in the beginning. How do I fit into this place? It's not really built for me, but I, I like it. I like doing this. So how do I figure out how to get comfortable being here? And then eventually it turns into what sort of a mental health thing right now when I go and play. It's very easy and relaxing and it's good, but it, t it takes a while. And you, I suppose you can't expect the things that you're going to do are going to be easy right away in the beginning, both physically and, and I guess, mentally or cognitively. Yeah, and culturally. Like, was it golf? Did it stand for gentlemen only, ladies forbidden? I want I am. No, I, I think that the, the original term is what I heard. I don't um, know. I have no idea. I never heard that, but that's funny. It certainly, it shouldn't be. That's for sure. But yeah, as a design thinker, it, you're there to tackle these problems. Uh, a thing that I've been listening to my clients and hearing a lot of and why we started this podcast was there's this feeling as millennials or Gen Z maybe that there's less opportunities 
in the world than there used to be. And that may or may not be backed up. I think that I did see that there are less people making more money than their parents did mm. than, than there used to be, something like 90% when it was the 1940s, and then now it's below 50% of people will make more than their parents. Yeah. So if that's the problem, no opportunities, how would a design thinker, how would you first go at tackling creating opportunities or finding them? Okay, great question. And a person who has been privileged their whole life is like, what? No, everyone, you like, there, you just got to work for them. So when you presented the topic, I was like, I don't identify with that. I don't understand. And I'm on the cusp of a Gen Xer, so maybe I'm just cynical. But if I'm going to think about it in a non, very non-biased way as a design thinker, you would present us with that and we would call that sort of your fuzzy situation. And so we would say, okay, Daniel's fuzzy situation is that there is evidence monetarily that folks are not earning at the rate that their parents were. And we want to investigate and further understand the concept of opportunity as it relates to that. And so we're going to take that as a jumping off point for this project. And so what we would do then is we would try to figure out who's our stakeholder population. How do we now go out and start to fact find around this problem space that you just lobbed up to us. And so we would start to decide, okay, it's millennials and we need to come up with a diverse population of them. They can't just all be from Indiana. They need to have diverse backgrounds. They need to be ethnically diverse. They need to be multiple genders, religions, whatever. We would come up with our is as wide of probably demographic as we could based on what your problem space is. And we probably would also then look to Gen Xers and boomers and whomever else might be outside that because mm -hmm. we would need that comparative data. So we would start to create, we'd ask you more questions. Tell us more about this problem space. We'd convene you as a problem owner. Tell us what you think is true about this problem space. Tell us what you maybe don't understand, but you want us to go find out. And so we'd listen to you and your group or whoever you were working on this problem with. And then we would write a research protocol around your questions. And then we would go and as a non-biased party and start to interview stakeholders and say, what do you think about opportunities? And we would start to try to learn based on all these various questions we'd want to ask. And then we would aggregate all the data and try to find the patterns and look for the outliers and figure out why are certain things outliers? What patterns where are we seeing? saturation in the data. And we would take that and we would start to write what we would believe to be actual challenge statements. Mm -hmm. So you're going to lob us up a question that we're going to call maybe a problem space, but we're going to work really hard to make sure that we frame your problem into what we would call it a challenge space. We would try to figure out if we could, how we could make sure that we ground your problem space in actual fact. And so we would go through that and then we would frame mm -hmm. maybe one, maybe several challenges. So the challenges are how might young people of color become first-time home homeowners? Maybe we found yeah. out that's a real problem, Yeah, a, a real challenge area. And so we would frame it into something we could actually take action on. So when you tell me a problem and you end it with a period at the end of your sentence, I can't really do anything with that for you. You can just say, oh, oh interesting. You think that you no know, young people have opportunity. Mm. That's interesting. But if I can take it and write it into a sentence with a question mark at the end, then I actually have the ability to do something for you or with it. Mm. So how might we X, Y, Z do this? We might have several. And then we would go back to the stakeholders and say, here are the problems. Uh, or here's the challenge spaces we've found. Now, how would you solve them? 
and we would start to include the stakeholder population. And that would be as diverse as it could possibly be. And you would start to look for the solutions, the patterns and the solutions. You'd ask them to prototype their solutions. And then you'd try to implement something. And then design's iterative. So you'd start all over again, probably re-looking at how well that was working. But as a design thinker, at least when I was in school, and this is how we do, how we operate at work, we do not dabble in content. We run a process. I wouldn't come in and say, unless I'm somehow actively contributing as a stakeholder, I wouldn't say, oh, um, the solution to millennials not having any opportunity is that they don't work hard enough. So I wouldn't contribute that as the design thinker. I would just listen to folks, put their answers into and I don't believe that, but <laughs> I, would, uh, I would put their answers into, we'd format them and try to find the patterns. And then we would try to use that as the way to move forward. Hmm. That's how we'd run it. So you'd find the facts, frame the challenge, find the solution, go to action. The buzz thing that really popped in my head here um, was the opportunity. You're not going to find it if you start ending your questions with a period. Right. You're not going to be able to find more opportunity if it's just this is how it is. There are less opportunities these days, period. It's coming up with a question and being curious about it. That in itself is opportunity. Yeah, that's opportunity in itself. Yeah. Reframe. Yeah, you just need to reframe yeah. into a question because hmm. you'll get stuck. You're stating facts effectively if with a, if, with a period or, or an exclamation point if you're really angry about something or whatever. But... It's not helpful to you if you can't reframe it into a question. Hmm. So if someone is sitting somewhere saying, I don't have any opportunity, exclamation point, it might help them or behoove them to say, how might I find opportunities? Then you can actually start to diverge on that question. When, what do you mean by opportunity? What kind of opportunity? Yes. Or Because there's housing there's economic, there's opportunity in jobs or opportunity to meet somebody. Yes. Or other things. Which ones are you having less opportunity in? And maybe you're having more opportunity in another area. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. The stop ending in, in a period, your statements. There's not really as many opportunities in a period because it closes off that whole sentence. You're done. Maybe we'll have a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I see it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's yeah. see the thing. Yeah. That's good. That, that's really helpful, too. It gives a, a good overview of that entire process. What opportunities have you been finding lately as far as from things that you're learning in your professional or personal life? Let's see. Uh, well, we, the pandemic was challenged. My whole business is researching people in office spaces. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure where you all were for the last 18 months or so, but folks weren't in offices very much. So we had to get real scrappy and creative and figure out, how, well, how do we sustain a business that studies office space at a time when nobody is in office space? And so as challenging and hard as that was as a business owner to figure out how are we going to navigate this from boring like financial sides of things, uh, I say that's boring. There's somebody who loves that part of things. But what was exciting or the opportunity in it was the innovation in how we did our mm -hmm. work. So we learned how to and we adapted very quickly into meetings that we'd have with analog post-it notes with leadership teams got adapted very quickly into a digital tool that we now have the opportunity to use. We do work all over the country. So now, you know, where before we'd fly out to project sites and run a 90-minute meeting and fly home, it's a lot of work for a 90-minute meeting. We can give our clients opportunity now. Do you want to fly us out or do you want us to do this digitally here? So awesome. those 
I would call that sort of the silver lining for us in COVID was we were able to innovate very quickly on things. And the opportunity probably was folks are more open to that innovation. So before where they might say, nah, we don't all want to jump on a Zoom. Like we don't know how to use Zoom. We don't want to use our computer. We want you to be in the room. People are pretty comfortable now when we say we're going to run your executive team through a meeting on Zoom and we're going to ask you to use your computers and use a digital tool. Fine. Like, mm. great. We're doing this already. Did you see a lot of people that weren't willing to give that a try because I'm not good with technology or stuff bef- before the uh-huh. pandemic and then after they were forced to? Or? Maybe. I, we were trying it before the pandemic. It wasn't, we oh, never okay. did it. We would never do it. So there's tools that we avoided because the learning curve was so high and our meetings are so short. So we had to quickly decide criteria for how we were going to use tools and they were going to be low barrier to entry tools. So if a person has no idea how to copy and paste with control C, control V or whatever, it has to be something that I can teach them in two seconds and get them to be able to use this tool and be real comfy and then move on to the content I need them to share with us. So figuring out how to do that, I, I and I can take very little credit. Our team did all this. I just watched it happen from the sidelines, but they parsed through the tools that were available and found the ones that were going to be very easy to use. They didn't maybe look as flashy as maybe some other tools, but we care much more about the stakeholder experience and how they're going to be able to engage with the tool than if it has some flashy interface. I would say our empathy in working with stakeholders allowed us to come to those conclusions really quickly versus kind of force people to fail through complicated digital tools that they'd never seen before. Yeah. You know, we weren't going to tolerate that. Yeah, for sure. Huh. That's something that we have been uh, thinking about and we recorded a little bit after Gwendolyn, you had a, a day of work in the city after being full remote for months. Yeah, I did. And I remember coming home and I'm like, what is this? It was almost like a feeling. First of all, what was it about today that was so different? And I think I walked away and I, the words I came to was, I felt like I was valued for just showing up mm-hmm. and I'd done enough for just showing up <laughs> for the day. Yeah. And working fully remote, I think I've only gotten that I've done enough for today feeling when I've cranked out a bunch of work. Mm-hmm. And it's, like productivity only what you've produced what i've Mm -hmm. produced and i'm like are we gonna lose because i'm thinking now down the road are we gonna become just like human producers not just human beings and valued for who we are as a person and what we bring to our work teams fascinating (laughs) topic that we spent a lot of time studying in in the pandemic actually so it's interesting if we engaged individual contributors versus leadership team member folks they're going to have different perspectives on the concept of productivity. And so we actually did this. We studied 16 organizations. We had several stakeholders from each and one of our key topics to research. We were hired to research what does productivity mean Hmm. in remote versus in-person work. Hmm. And so the fascinating thing that we found that's very in line with what you're talking about is when you ask almost all people to define productivity, they will say generally my ability to get my tasks done. At work. So I can check off my list of the various things that I needed to produce today. I got to the end of my inbox. I did all the things that I was asked to do. Effectively, I was productive then. 
you will at times get a different response from a leader, an owner, somebody at a very high level thinking maybe very visionary level about an organization. If you ask them, they will say productivity, and they'll more so talk about it at, from the company lens. So they'll say, we're productive when we're collaborative and creative and innovative and strategic. And they'll say many different things, but they do not say when we get all of our tasks done in a day. So how do they measure that? It's hard to measure. And so we, so the problem becomes that you have two different groups of people having two different definitions of the same word. And so now you're bypassing each other, right? So we started calling it little P productivity and big P productivity to try to define who was talking about what and when. And so you went to work and you were physically present with folks. You had a sense of productivity that day because you were probably engaging. You, I know when I'm with my team, I'll talk about things that I probably wouldn't have thought to talk about if I wasn't there or they'll overhear me and they'll say, no, Sam, uh, that company's name is this, not that. Stop saying it that way or whatever. And so, but I wouldn't have that if I was by myself in my own spot. But there are for sure times that I need to plow through that list and get those things done. And so big P and little P are at times at odds with each other and they, they need each other, but they need separation at times. Too. And so if you can help people understand that, yeah, you need to do some of these things to be little P productive in a day, you also really need to thrive in big P world. So mm. your career will not advance if you spend all your time in little P. True. And don't think about the, the ramifications of not engaging in, in big P. So going in is important and you feel very different on those days, but you might not feel like you got as much done. But on the other hand, you're maybe you figured out something that was more complicated or or had a conversation with somebody like, organically. That, you were mentored. Yeah, you man. you mentor. You were eating. You helped somebody else learn something. I, I think you in the article talked about the meeting after the meeting. Yeah, that it's a different kind of productivity. So you have these Zoom calls, <laughs> and it closes off. But if you're in the office room, people will get in their little groups and yeah. talk about what just happened. And Walk back to your desk. Did yeah. you hear what they said? <laughs> I didn't notice that because I read that a few days ago. And huh, we were all online today, my work team. And then I noticed after the meeting, like I said, like, good job to the people who I led a meeting with. And then it, in our group chat, it turned out to be an after the meeting chat. Yeah. But since we were all online, it all went to another online medium so people weren't left out. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to pick up on, oh, how is this happening? Or like, where am I seeing this? Now? It's, and you have to pay more attention. So it was easy for us when we were all remote or when we were maybe all in the office prior to the pandemic. But where we're going to have our base kind of hurdle that's going to come up here and it's starting to as we start to go in a little bit. It sounds like you're doing some kind of hybrid schedule. Yeah, it's harder now. So if you have a couple of folks having a meeting after a meeting, but others are at home or remote or wherever the coffee shop might be, now what do you do? While you're standing in the hall, do you go back to the digital platform and say, good job, and you're doing it burgundy? It's So it's a lot more for us as humans to manage through. It's hard. It's hard for us to think about all those angles. You sort of had that situation, though, happen. Wait, you mean? all went in for a meeting. Everybody could have been in the same room. Oh, I had the funniest thing happen. So I went in for a meeting. Some people even came from Ohio and Michigan. They were purposely bringing everyone together. And then somebody thought, oh, I don't think everyone's going to show up. 
let's go to this smaller conference room because I don't know why, but yeah. I made that decision. And then we started to surprise them. I live walking distance from the office, so I walked into the office, but they saw me on video camera in the morning. Then we get into the meeting, and since half the people couldn't fit, the other half of the people went to another conference room. And then we were trying to do two video calls plus two, like, I'm in this room, you're in this room. It was a disaster. Yeah. It was a total disaster, and it was hilarious. And then looking back, it's like, why didn't we all just go into the same room? <laughs> yeah. Like, keep time to all be here. None of us can hear each other. Right? Like, it was so goofy. Yes, that was a very... That just naturally occurred. <laughs> get it? Yeah, and it's going to keep happening. And it, without a good frame for how to handle that, it, organizations don't take time to figure out what are our protocols for when we're going to have a conference call or how do we know who's going to be where, when. They're, we're going to run into more and more as we all start to come back in. I hate getting in trouble. And I started getting in trouble because my one coworker who was next to me, they started... Like when you're in a group, they were next to me. We started having our like a sidebar conversation. Yeah. And when everyone's in person, that's fine. But it's not. But then I started getting called out by the my boss's boss, who was on the video call because he lives farther away. And was like, only one person talking at once. You can't hear it. Feedback. I got yeah. in trouble again. Yeah. <laughs> but we were talking about good styles. It right. was a topic and yeah. really beneficial. And it was actually, I was able to interact with that coworker in ways I haven't been able to interact with them all being remote because they'll just get quieter on camera. Yeah. So I don't know the solution there, but it's a, it is a good problem. Yeah. It's going to take a while. And from what I'm seeing, not everyone's real excited to jump in and deal with this topic. A lot of people want to just say, I don't know, hybrid it. Come on in. Figure it. Come in when you want. (laughs) Don't when you don't. And like, (laughs) that's not going to work. So we're, I think we'll have some stumbling here. Like you're already experiencing. For sure. I'm going to have to keep a lookout on what you're writing. Yeah. yeah. I had one more thought. Am I on a tangent or am I okay? You're doing fine. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if the listeners can hear it, but the band's warming up downstairs. We're like above the church uh, recording <laughs> and they're doing a little like worship practice. So the sound of the band warming up means we're going to need to wrap up sometime here. <laughs> but <laughs> my question though, yesterday had a new thing in my work dynamic because we were all remote. Now we only go back for like in-person larger gatherings and a coworker was like, hey, this project we have scheduled like later in the afternoon, want to go over to a coffee shop? I think it would be easier to chat about this in person, kind of problem solve, so yeah, be more creative with it. And I was like, yes, like this yeah. is so exciting. Yeah. But then it hit me and I've been thinking since like how much is going to be on the individual worker of just how much intentionality are you going to take with your other coworkers? Mm-hmm. But then long-term, would that isolate other workers or put them at a disadvantage or not include them? I don't know. So I'm kind of thinking through all those. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it is so complicated. And it's what we've found with coffee shop concept, and you said you were working at a coffee shop this morning. Like how is this gets into sort of nitty gritty details, but I don't know what you were talking about at that coffee shop. Who's to say that someone didn't overhear sensitive conversations or sensitive that, information? That's that, such a good point. So how? So now all of a sudden we're working from where in in the pandemic it was really just we're at home. Yeah. Now when we say remote, we don't mean home. We just mean 
not in the office. An organization is going to have to think a lot harder about what does that mean? Can you go and have a very detailed HR conversation in a Starbucks? Are we going to allow that to happen? Or if you're on a Zoom call, can your background be the bar that you're at? What is appropriate? Yeah. Where can you take a colleague and why and when? The agency is great, right? From a people-centered standpoint, hybriding and yeah. being able to work. It sounds like that felt better. It was a better experience probably. But then, yeah, what are the unintended consequences for the business, I guess, that those things will have to be thought of and when they maybe weren't before. Yeah. It feels turning. This is yeah interesting. I feel like I need some follow-up conversations from this. Yeah. <laughs> it is fascinating. <laughs> It's super. Oh, there's just not, it's not equitable opportunity and stuff too. As some people could have conversations because they can go get coffee, but yeah. someone that's further away that works remote from Texas, they're not going to be able to have those coffee conversations and network in the same sort of way. Yeah. Um, Equity is really important to us. And we read a lot of secondary research on this and it came up in our, in our research on hybrid as well. But the thing that kind of blew my mind that I didn't think about, but it started to present itself to me was the concept of equity based on choice. The best example I can give of this, and I talk about this all the time, so I'm probably overdoing it, but I am a mother. I have a bunch of little kids. It's pretty easy for my employer to say, work from home. You're good. Go ahead. You get your kids on and off the bus. It'll be a great life for you. Like you, It'll be great. We fully support you working from home. But what everyone might not be thinking about, and my employer might not be fully thinking about it, I might not be fully thinking about it, is what does it look like five years from now when I've spent, I've been encouraged or I've been welcomed to work from home, but maybe my counterpart who's equal in education and experience to me chose to work in the office even though they were, she was given the opportunity. Now I'm not exposed to leadership as much, let's say, because they're in the office more for whatever reason, or I didn't get mentored as much. Or I didn't have this coffee conversations. Now I'm going to be probably not up for the same promotion. I'm not maybe going to have the same mm-hmm. opportunities because I didn't really, nobody thought about the impact of the choice that I was given might have. So I'm like, I'm very cautious of... Yeah. Hey, uh, hybrid is great for working moms. I don't know. There is opportunity still there. It's just which metric are you go, caring you, about? Yeah, what do you care about? Or how? There's opportunity cost. About the cost of the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how are we painting that picture to people? Because mm-hmm. women are already dropping out of the workforce in COVID much faster yeah. than before. And so, are we? What are we doing about that? Mm. Any ideas as you've been sitting in this, it sounds like individuals or companies can take to support women all the more? I think it's probably a good idea to listen and first of all, put women in leadership roles. You've got to have women in the roles that women want to aspire to be in as well. But I I think it's just a matter of making sure those voices are heard everywhere. Now, that would probably be my answer to anything. Make sure you're listening to all the stakeholders. What are their Problems and opportunity spaces, How can, what challenges can, mm-hmm. can arise? So if it's an opportunity that they can work from home, what's the challenge that might arise from that later? And try to look for some of those things. I think that's the best answer I could give is what they could do is, is start talking to people more. I'll be open to that conversation about what that looks like. You just doing more research before offering things to, to be able to present the opportunity costs, the benefits. Yeah. So for natural, though, in a world right. where everything's moving so fast. It... Well, you have to make decisions sometimes, yeah. And, and just closing here, do you have any opportunities that come to mind that you would want other people to know about or ways, resources 
that people could receive more opportunities. Good question. I go back to the coffee thing. Find somebody that you're interested in meeting and just find their, most people's emails are on the internet. So just email them or there's a thing called a telephone has numbers so you could dial people on it. You might stand out if you use a telephone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very millennial. I like apologize when I leave voicemails to people and I'm like, I'm so sorry I'm calling you. This is unmillennial of me. Uh, but uh, it's all right. right. Yeah. We'll get on phone call. So yeah, I would definitely do that to find opportunities, but there's also, I don't know, like this is getting super businessy, but like the state has some amazing grants and funding for education. If that's somewhere or something like there's tons of stuff out there to help people along in, in paths they want to take. I would just research the heck out of that and know, knowing what you might want to do or you have an interest in Mm -hmm. find out if there's a lot of times there's funding to help maybe not cover the whole thing, but support it. I would look for kind of what, a lot of areas what the state might have to offer the IDC or folks like that. I, we have found a lot of success in our business through just making sure that we're very aware of what's available to small businesses. You're not going to find those grants though, or those opportunities if you're ending your problem with a period instead of a, a question. How might we find grants? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's knowing that things are out there, but also believing that these opportunities might be for you instead of assuming and having a mindset of, no, there's nothing that I can do about it. There might be less, just depending. Like we said, opportunity is not equitable, but you might have a little bit. And so getting out there and just being curious and, and seeing and starting ending things with questions instead of periods all the time um, might just be the way to go. Maybe. Try it out. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> is it the way to go? Question mark. <laughs> There we go. Thank you so much, Sam, for for coming on here. We are uh, really excited about this first season here of the Learn Opportunity Podcast. And if you're listening, like, subscribe. I'm Daniel. And I want to say thank you before we close okay. it out. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know the cue for that. Wait. I don't know. She's like, read yet. <laughs> no, I We're learning. I want to say thank you, Sam, because I'm new in my career. It's been just a journey figuring out even my own path. But just hearing just how you process or like how you have come to a spot where you're at right now and also being a woman and being a mom and say I like my career and I like having fun and pursuing activities and thinking about things Mm. and leaning into how I'm wired and there are opportunities even just personally I've been like enthralled like when you were explaining that process I'm like I'm still sitting in it it was like 10 minutes later (laughs) so I've just really appreciated it so thank you yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Thanks for having me. Sorry. Yeah. Back to the. No, day. you're all good. <laughs> back to back to your pre-programmed ending. Join. Please subscribe. All, yeah. all the. Uh, all, thanks for joining us and join us next time for more casual, professional, and lifestyle development. The Learned Opportunity Podcast has been brought to you by Ecclesia Counseling Services LLC providing mental health and career counseling to the greater Indianapolis area. Perhaps you're anxious or maybe you're unsure about the future of your career, or you feel that you're not living the life that you are meant to. Whatever your needs may be, Ecclesia Counseling Services is here to offer support. Check us out online at Ecclesia Indy, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A-I-N-D-Y.com.